every day. Though we look to the sun, set our eyes on the Savior, see the image of love, sing his praises forever. Oh, we look to the sun. Salvation Tearing through the dead of night See the kingdom burst into color At the speed of light Freedom Shaking up the atmosphere Beyond the skies above, love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Oh, we look to the sun, set our eyes on our Savior, see the image of love, sing His praises First Rock Fellowship, it's good to see you all again.
Um, good to see anybody again. <laughs> so, um, Frank uh, just came up and let me know that uh, he and his life group are hosting a Super Bowl watch party next Sunday, 5.30 in the Fellowship Hall, if any of you would like to come. Five. Five. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. Five o'clock. So if you'd like to come, you can be a part of that with them. Um, also, that giving wall that you saw announced for children, that's going to go on another week. And uh, if you don't know how to use that, it's, it's really pretty simple. You... If you got $22 on you, you put it into the $22 envelope. If you want to give $28, you put it in the $28 envelope. If you $55 or $60 or whatever, that's what you put in. If you only got $2 on you, find the $2 envelope, put two bucks in there. It's really pretty simple. But it allows us all to give in a creative way to help the children go to camp. So I hope if you haven't had a chance to do that, you can do it either today or by next week. And uh, so we can make sure our children all have plenty of money to go to church camp this summer. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and what an exciting time it is to come together again uh, to worship you. We thank you that you set apart that Sabbath each day or each week, uh, a day for us to rest from our labors and to come together and worship. And uh, God, we pray that as we've come together in obedience this morning, uh, whether we are doing it from another location or we're here in person, that your spirit would come and meet with us, that you would empower us to worship you, uh, to have the understanding of your word and to grow as your sons and daughters. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Spring up from the ground, Lord, when the heavens and come down, seek the lost and heal the lame. Jesus, bring glory to your name. Let all the prodigals run home, all of creation wakes and groans. The Lord, we've heard of your great fame. Father, cause all shout your name. Spring up from the ground, rolling the heavens and come down. Seek the lost and hear the lame. Jesus, bring glory to your name. Let all the prodigals run home. All of creation awaits and groans. Lord, we've heard of your great thing. Father, God's all shout your name. Stir up our hearts. Stir up our hearts, oh God. Open our spirits to all who you are. Boy, if I get in us so deep inside that we cannot find the words we need. We just weep and cry up to you. Salvation spring up from the ground. Lord, in the heavens and come down. Seek the lost and heal the lame. Jesus, bring glory to your name. Let all the prodigals run home. All of creation waits and groans. Lord, we've heard of your great name. Found the clouds on shut your name. Open last 
Let's open our Bibles up to Job chapter chapter 28, and we'll be in verse 1 is where we're going to be starting at. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your precious word, we pray that your spirit would come and give us the understanding we need, Lord to see your truth and to apply it to our lives. We pray that it would bear fruit in us and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been learning as I, uh, learning new things as I've read through Job again this year. Um, I told my wife a few days ago we were uh, both sitting and reading, and I said, you know, uh, each time I go through Job, te God teaches me something different. Something else stands out. Uh, one year, I went through, and uh, I was amazed at uh, the 
language about uh, ancient beasts, uh, like at dinosaurs and things like that, and I would, I would see things I hadn't spotted, and other years it was more on uh, the angels and angelology and, and how much you gleaned from Job. This year was, was very different. Um, as I read through all the different uh, ways that Job's three friends, his original three, the way that they came at him and were uh, confronting him, correcting him, uh, convinced of how wicked he must be. Um, what stood out to me was how what they say is true. When you read Job's friends, they're, they're not saying things that are just totally crazy. They're saying things that are right, things you could find in the Bible um, about God, about if you're righteous, you're blessed. If you're wicked, you're cursed. Uh, those types of things. That's what they're saying. They're, they're speaking from a general knowledge and, and wisdom. And yet, they don't know what they don't know. And that's what stood out to me this time going through Job was how, how Job's friends have knowledge of how things are supposed to work. Uh, they have knowledge of the way God generally works. If we do good, God blesses us. If we do evil, uh, that blessing does not come and oftentimes uh, negative things come. What they were missing, what they did not understand and there was places that Job, as wise and good a man as he was, things he did not understand. What they didn't understand about Job's situation was that God allows suffering to bring about growth, maturity, and greater goods in our life. So they were speaking in part truth. What they were saying, you couldn't say, well, that's a lie. But the context, the way that they were applying what knowledge they had to Job was wrong because they didn't have the full knowledge of God. And so they were applying their, all the understanding they had, they were attacking Job with it because they were limited in their understanding and so they were judging him very harshly. But if they could have seen things the way God saw them, they would have understood, they would have known that Job truly was a righteous man. That he had truly treated people well, both the widow, the orphan. He had done right by folks. And there was a legitimate question as to why he was being treated the way he was being treated. It wasn't because he was a wicked man as his friends supposed. But that's the only conclusion they could draw. I began to think about how... Many times do we come out bold and maybe a bit arrogant or prideful, fully convinced in our rightness. We've got God's word on our side, scripture verses we're quoting, and we come out of shooting. We know that we're right and that person is wrong. We assess the situation, make our judgment calls, throw the scriptures around, and declare ourselves as having won the fight. And I wonder how many times is God saying, you don't know everything. You don't have the full picture. C.S. Lewis made mention of this in his book, Mere Christianity. 
he talks about how God judges us all specifically, individually, based on what we were given. What kind of life did we have in the start? What was being imparted to us? What kind of generational stuff is coming up in us? To whom much is given, much is expected. And the same is true if, if less has been given to you, then there's a, a lower expectation. Although God is calling you up higher, we're all judged in a very right and just way by our Creator who knows everything about us inside and out. He knows our backgrounds. What stood out to me in Job was how we all could stand a little more humility. I know I could. In the way that I look and assess everyone around me. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what they've been given and not given. And as I said, I know months and months ago in a sermon, relaying back to C.S. Lewis's words, you know, there may be some people that in the eyes of the world, the church, in my eyes, that I think are behind me spiritually or in the race, that God says, no, they're actually ahead of you. Because they were started further back. And it doesn't look like they're as far ahead in their growth. It doesn't look like they're achieving as much in a worldly perspective. But from the eyes of the Father, they may be way ahead because of how far they started back. I think Job's friends couldn't see everything. I think they made judgments based on what they knew and they came out with a lot of uh, confidence in their judgments. Now, I don't want to take away from the fact that what they were holding on to was general wisdom. And it's things that they should not deny, but it was the way that it was applied. And I think we should all be careful about how we apply even true statements with a big, broad paintbrush and how we can judge another man's heart. I love that God tells us that uh, we're not to judge another man's sheep. God knows all of our hearts. He knows what goes on inside. Sometimes we see on the outside and think we know everything. And it, it, it spoke to my heart that I need to take a little more time to humble myself before God and, and consider how he sees people and, uh, and have the mercy of God that he has toward me. Well, chapter 28 is not about that, but... That's kind of what's going on up to chapter 28. Um, a lot of judging going on. Job is trying to defend himself to his friends. He's asking God, what's going on? I don't understand. And he comes to chapter 28, and, and this is what chapter 28 says. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro from men. The earth 
From it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the base, he hews out channels through the rocks, and his eyes, or his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. Now this is Job talking here. When you read the book of Job, you have to be careful to look who's talking. Sometimes it's one of his friends, sometimes it's Job, it's back and forth, sometimes it's God. But in this particular chapter, chapter 28, it is Job talking. And what he's talking about here, he's saying that surely silver is being mined. And there are mines where men are going in and digging out and bringing out silver. And surely a place where they refine gold, where they're burning out all the, uh, the dross and they're purifying it. There's a work. Man has learned how to purify gold. Man has learned how to mine silver. He says iron. Man has learned how to remove iron from the dust and make use of it in other ways. He's learned how to smelt copper from the rock. Man has put an end to darkness. He knows about fire. He carries torches and lamps on burning with oil and goes in and lights up caverns and caves and even at nighttime. He's, he's learned how to go into what was darkness with his light. And then it says in verse 4 that he sinks a shaft far from habitation. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. What that is a picture of is they've literally dug a shaft down and men are hanging on ropes down in it, digging out these gems. Gold or sapphires, rubies. He says, where no bird of prey knows, no falcon's eye has ever been able to see, no wild beast, no lion or, or great uh, elephant or anything else has been able to walk on. Man, and man alone, has been given the ability and is able to search out gems hidden deep in the earth. Man is able to dig down, and when he's digging down in these tunnels and these pits and mines that he's making, he's able to spot silver, spot a sapphire, spot a ruby, spot diamonds, and dig them out. He's able to smelt copper out of the rock and refine gold and purify silver, and he's able to do all these things, and then to craft those things into beautiful pieces and beautiful works, jewelry, furnishings. That's what he's talking about there from verse 1 to verse 11. He mentions how the earth, from it comes food, and underneath it turns up fire. Its rocks uh, are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. These things are in the earth, but the animal kingdom doesn't know what they are and can't find them. But man and man alone can. They're hidden, but man 
knows how to look for them. And God has given him the ability to spot the beauty in them and to dig them out. This is pretty common knowledge, but sometimes we don't think about how we're the only ones who do that. But he, when he comes to the end of this first section, where he talks about how man hews out channels through the rocks and his eyes see anything precious. That's in uh, verse 10. His eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing. And what is hidden, he brings out to the light. The reason that Job sets us up like this is he says man knows how to find precious things, to refine them and to pull them out and to turn them into beautiful things. And man's the only one. But then he will, he will take us to a whole other place in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? Man can dig in the deepest pits and, and, and make these cavernous holes in the ground. He can lower himself down on ropes and his fellow man down on ropes and they can hang to and fro and chisel out these little precious things that they can spot out of everything else down there and they can go into the dark and they can carry their light and they can do all of these things. But he says, where is wisdom found? Where is wisdom found? We know where to find sapphires and rubies and diamonds and gold and silver and copper and on and on and on, the topaz and so on. But where is wisdom found? He says, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Oh, how true. We'll come back to that. Nor is it found in the land of the living. The land of the living is is us here on earth. You see, there's not a cave. There's, there's not a certain strata in the earth's layers and crust that you can go and you can dig out wisdom. You can't go find a pocket of understanding somewhere. You can't refine it out of a rock. Where is wisdom? Where is understanding? Where can it be found? Man doesn't know its full value. We have no idea. Where to get it? Verse 14 says, The deep says, It is not in me. That's talking about the oceans. And the sea says, It is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it. You can't buy wisdom. No matter how much you have, no matter how pure your gold is or the amount you have, you can't buy wisdom. So it's not something that only the rich could attain to. He says, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. What he's telling us is, is wisdom and understanding has a greater value than any and all precious items on the earth. That no matter how fine or precious or what carat your diamond is, it's it's not enough to be able to purchase wisdom. 
He says, coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. Verse 23, God understands its way and he knows its place. You see, a minute ago we started off in chapter 28 and we were, Job was differentiating between how man is different than the animal kingdom, the birds, the beasts. Man can search out and find and see precious things, dig them out, smelt them, refine them. He was contrasting us between the animal kingdom that cannot do that. But now he's saying, who can find wisdom and understanding? Only God knows where it's at. Only God can see it. Only God knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. And when he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. I want to talk to you about wisdom. I started off with Job's discourse on it because Job lets us know just how precious it is. The writers of the Proverbs do the same, and we're going to move to that in just a minute. But I want you to see something. Wisdom is its not something that is, is, is lying in a particular geographic location, and it's not something that can be purchased. And in fact, it's not even the same as knowledge, although knowledge can have lots of wisdom in it. But we all could easily think of people who are very, very knowledgeable. Academics who have been in school for decades, learning and growing and have never stopped. They're very well read in the sciences and literature and history, maybe great in mathematics. They can be very, very knowledgeable in many things and yet have very little, if any, wisdom. Wisdom is what is used to apply knowledge, to carry out knowledge. You see, you can know that stealing is wrong. You can know that lying is wrong. You can have the knowledge of the law. But having the knowledge of the law is not the same as having the wisdom to obey the law. Wisdom is what says, do it. <laughs> Don't just know it. Wisdom says that if I really walk out what God has said, I will be blessed. A wise man does what God says, knowing that God is real and exists. 
Believing that God will truly bless when he obeys. You see, wisdom is what is behind the obedience. Wisdom is what causes a man or a woman to carry out their knowledge, to walk it out, to do it, to not just know about it. Having knowledge is not the same as having wisdom. In Proverbs 1, verse 20, wisdom is personified. So she's made to sound like a woman, right? It says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out, At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. How long? You see, knowledge is not wisdom, but if you hate knowledge, you're a fool. If you hate learning, if you don't want to listen to anyone else's counsel... That's a fool, according to everything in, that we find in the Scripture, all through the Proverbs. But one who has a teachable spirit, one who is humble, one who is, desires to learn and grow, that's wisdom. Wisdom sometimes is hard to put its finger on. It's that thing that says, I want to learn, I want to grow. It's that desire for knowledge, understanding, the desire to be taught That's a part of wisdom. The reason I wanted to take you to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, and I'm going to keep reading it in just a minute, is I wanted to bring this around to where we are. Because we can talk about wisdom and knowledge and understanding in this generalized way, but I want you to consider something. What has been kind of rolling around in my spirit the last week or so is, has been how much I see our culture and our world, not just the United States, but our entire world, despising wisdom more and more and embracing folly more and more. And I think a way to, maybe a litmus test, Maybe a way to put a thermometer into the culture and see how are we doing on this. Well, for me, I I just I just started thinking, you know, and this is a very simple example here, but I started thinking, you know, um, television uh, several decades back shows that you would turn on to watch uh, would impart wisdom. And they were enjoyed. This is what was being put out and, and what families and children were bringing in. Uh, you think about um, Andy Griffith, right? Uh, you know, you, you could get wisdom from Andy even if it was Andy learning from his own mistake, you know, uh, or learning it through humor and how Barney did something stupid, you know. <laughs> But there was wisdom coming out. Yeah. You had shows like Leave It to Beaver or uh, Father's Knows Best or whatever. And I, whether you liked them or you didn't like them, uh, Beaver's always doing something stupid, 
you know, getting himself in a mess, his dad's always giving him good wisdom. He's learning lessons in the little stories. There's wisdom coming out. And we as America used to be entertained by those things, and, and some of us still are. Uh, but even, even a good episode of Gunsmoke had, it, it had truth in there. It had, you know, uh, right and wrong. And, and being honest and things like that. If you watch any of these shows, you're going to see people having the opportunity to lie. Sometimes they will lie. You'll, you'll have opportunities to steal. You'll see, whether it's a young actor or an older one or whatever it is, but you'll see theft being dealt with. You'll see lying being dealt with. You'll see things like this. And what's being imparted is not just the law, but you're learning the wisdom behind the command. The wisdom that by doing right, by being honest, by not stealing, by admitting that you broke something. I mean, come on, how many of us have watched some Little House on the Prairie? There's some good lessons that were being coming through there. Now, as culture has changed, I'm not going to camp out on TV too long, but as culture has changed, I remember, you know, when Three's Company came out. Now, I tried my best to think of much wisdom that came out of that show, and there's not a lot. It's, it's basically, let's get away with whatever we can. Let's laugh about morals and right and wrong. And it only got worse. That was the 70s, and you kept moving through, and you had Roseanne, you have all these, you have talk shows, you know. Jerry Springer, you, I mean, we're, we're throwing wisdom out the window, and we are embracing folly. We're entertained by foolishness. Beavis and that other guy. We've got some really... <laughs> I mean, we, we, we are not craving wisdom as a, as a culture, at least not, not as a whole. And, and so let's go back, kind of thinking that way. And, and granted, are there some good things being coming out, good movies coming out nowadays? There are. There's some good things that are coming out. But when you look at the majority as a whole, and I have to say the same thing, if you go back you know, in early TV, you could find bad stuff and you could find things that weren't right. This is not a, a broad brush, all right? But it's saying as a majority rule, looking at what used to be common on TV and what is common on TV now, the things that are out there are promoting what Proverbs calls folly, sexual immorality, sleeping around like crazy, homosexuality, all kinds of things that, that are the opposite of fearing God. They are practicing abominations before God and not just doing that, but approving of others and cheering it on and rejoicing in partying, getting drunk, getting high, sleeping around. These things are what many movies and many TV shows are now about. Much of our music that comes out is about this, whether it's in the country genre, the rock genre, or the pop genre. It's still got a message that has very little, if any, wisdom at all found in it, but a whole lot of folly. Now let's go back to Proverbs 1 and verse uh, 20. Wisdom is still, even today in 2024, she is still shouting in the street. Uh, she's still lifting her voice in the square at the head of the noisy street. She cries out at the entrance of the gates in the city. She utters her saying, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools 
hate knowledge. How long? Turn to my reproof, she says. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I call you, uh, because I called and you refused. Listen to what happens when we refuse her. Listen to what happens because you might be saying, well, Chris, it just shows. It's just TV. Why are you making a big deal out of it? Well, the thing is that the more that we agree with the folly, if you agree with folly, which is foolishness, which is evil, which is wickedness, which is sin, if you agree with it, you embrace it, you have rejected her voice because she's calling you to stay away from the house of the prostitute. She's calling you to stay away from the drunk. Uh, the drinking and becoming drunken, and she's calling you to stay away from it. If you read the Proverbs, that's the voice of wisdom. She's calling you not to hang out with those people who want to go and waylay somebody and do violence. This is the voice of wisdom. I'm actually giving you exact quotes from, uh, or near quotes of, of what Proverbs talks about. She, she says, get away from violent people. Get away from thieves. Get away from drunkenness and partying and carousing. Get away from wayward women or wayward men. Get away from those things. That's the voice of wisdom calling out. But the voice of folly is also calling out. And she's inviting us to come and drink of her wine. She's inviting us to come and agree with folly and to welcome folly into our houses, into our minds and our hearts. And when we receive and agree with folly and foolish things and evil things, then we have rejected the voice of wisdom. And this is what she says in verse 24. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when you dread when, when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit their own way. They shall eat of the fruit of their own way. So what you sow is what you eat. What you're planting is what you're going to eat is what she says. She says, and they'll be satisfied with their own devices. The waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. If we want to try to see what does this look like in, in real life, for any of us who have practiced sin for a while, we, we know... <laughs> the bite of it. We know that though it tastes good going down, it's bitter in the end. <laughs> Can anybody testify to that? <laughs> anybody who said, you know what, uh, I know I was raised this way, or I know I was taught this, or I know the law says don't do that, but I'm going to do it anyways, because that's what everybody else is doing. It makes me cool. It makes me popular. It's going to be fun. If you ended up in jail, 
You ended up with a record. You ended up with a DUI. You ended up with, you know, you're addicted to drugs. You now have a disease of some kind. If, if something has gotten a hold of you, you know what I'm talking about, and I have my own experiences. So this is not me throwing stones at anybody, but we know this, don't we? We know this. We know that folly is, is calling out to us, but she never tells us that if we walk in her ways, we'll be destroyed. She never tells us that, that we will have to eat the fruit that we have planted. And it's not good tasting. She doesn't tell us that. Wisdom is calling out in our nation and calling out in our world. And sadly, there are less and less people who can hear her voice. There are less and less, but you know what I think is wonderful? Because I don't want to end this sermon on a low note. And I'm not, I'm not done, by the way. We're going some other places here. But I want, you to, I want you to hear something. What I find beautiful is the love of God and the never-ending work of God. And in fact, wisdom often comes through our stumbles, falls, and mistakes. A wise person learns from their mistakes. Ooh. You see what that just said? That, that's right out of Scripture. Did you know that means that just because you walked in folly earlier in your life doesn't mean you're a fool for life. It means you agreed with, you got swept up in, you got enticed by, you, you went down the wrong street and you partook of the wrong stuff and you're paying the price, but what a, the Bible says a fool will, will do that and keep doing it. But a wise person will go, oh my gosh, <laughs> I never want this again. A wise person will change their ways, will have a fear of the Lord and return to God. A wise person repents, but a fool does not. A fool stays in that muck and mire and continues to not learn from their mistakes. Everybody in this room and everybody on the planet makes mistakes. We all sin. We all let stuff in our lives we shouldn't. We all say yes to things and do things. And sometimes we do things and we, we let things in that we know are wrong. We know they're bad, but we're tempted. Our flesh, our cravings draw us in. We do it anyways. We're rebellious. This is why Jesus came. Because we're sinners. We need a Savior. Guys, oh, what a sad case when we see a generation that is rising up that more and more and more despises the counsel of God, despises right being described and, and wrong being described. They don't want anything to do with it and and. and the enemy is working tirelessly through all of our media to try to get us to say that folly is what is good. Folly is what I want. Folly is where it's at. Folly is what the popular people do. Folly is what the rich people do. Folly is what the cool people do. What a sad thing. You know, for years, I think uh, we've, we've probably all seen uh, the occasional kid. I was not one of these <laughs> who could do this, but maybe, maybe you knew someone who was really smart, but because it wasn't cool to be smart, they decided to not make as good a grades 
to try to fit in. What a, what a sad thing. But that's the pressure of uh, peer pressure and, and, is, and, a, and a desire that any one of us have to be loved and accepted, to be one of the cool people, whatever that is. And then we, we adjust things. So whether you're really smart and you could make all A's, but you decide not to so that no one will call you a nerd, or you, you're not that, which was me, and, and you, you do other things to try to be accepted, to try to fit in, to try to be cool. Here's my whole point. The devil puts what it is to be cool and he, he puts the most foolish thing. Think about what cool people do. In the world's eye. If you're a part of that crowd, generally speaking, I'm saying generally speaking, because in my, in my eyes, you're not cool when you do that. I got a different definition of cool. But in the eyes of the world, it's the cool kids who go out and get drunk. It's the cool kids who go out and party. And it's the cool kids who, who don't say no to anything. They're not afraid of anything. They'll do anything. If that's your definition of cool, then cool is a fool. Cool is a fool. And the one you look up to, the one you aspire to be, is nothing more than a fool. And if you will watch their life long enough, though they look amazing in high school, it'll be really bad come their late 20s. If they make it that long. Because folly has consequences. Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, this is wisdom speaking, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He is a shield. God becomes your shield. He becomes your protector. He becomes your provider. He becomes all of those things. He guards your paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and Equity, equity and every good course. You will discern these things. You see, when wisdom comes into you and you're given the choice to go this way or this way, to be a part of this friend group or that friend group, to make this decision or that decision, if wisdom is inside of you, she's going to be calling out. If you've said, I want to hear your voice, wisdom, I want you, God, give me wisdom. If you're longing for her as for silver, then you're listening for her voice and you want to follow her way. And so when you're given those opportunities to do really stupid stuff and all the kids or all your friends or whatever are pressuring you, and maybe it's not a high school situation or a college situation, let's take it into adulthood. Maybe there's everybody saying, hey, hey, this is a sure deal. You need to invest in this. You need to do this. Everybody else is doing it. Come on, man. Come on. Don't be afraid. Put your money in and you're going, I don't want to. It looks like a pyramid scheme to me. I've heard about these things. No, man, every, I promise everything will be fine. Blah, 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 blah. Wisdom is trying to tell you, don't do it. 
Wisdom is trying to say, stop trying to find a get-rich-quick scheme. Wisdom is trying to tell you, be satisfied with what you have. Work hard for what you get every day. Wisdom is trying to tell you, in fact, it's in the Bible. Wisdom is trying to tell you. She's trying to protect you. But we can have peer pressure from all kinds. And, and the only way peer pressure works is because there's something in us that wants either their love, their acceptance, or the money they're talking about. There's something inside of us. There's got to be an appetite in there or we're not tempted. We need wisdom so that when we are tempted, we can hear her voice as an instructor, as a teacher, calling us and speaking to us, hey, I know that looks good, but don't go there. I know that person's asking to borrow uh, you know, $20,000 from you, and, and they're saying they're good for it, they're going to pay you back, they're going to do that. Wisdom is saying, don't loan it if you can't make it a gift. That's what wisdom is saying. But you see, without wisdom, we can, be, we can be controlled by our emotions, feelings. Well, I should do this. I love them. I, I, I. We can be talked into all kinds of things, and we can feel like we're doing what God wants us to do or we're supposed to do these things. We need wisdom to know what we should do, what is wise to do. What is wise because in today's world, love gets thrown around pretty loosely. Well, if you love me, you'll, you'll agree with my way of seeing things. If you love me, you'll do what I want you to do right now. If you love me, you'll give me that. If you love me, you'll give me yourself. If you love me, wisdom needs to say, I don't have to stay in a relationship with you, boyfriend or girlfriend, to prove I love you. You, I can walk out of this if you're toxic. You can say, but if you were a good person, if this, that, and the other. No. Wisdom says, you shouldn't be dependent on me. <laughs> Wisdom says, I'm getting out of this thing. Otherwise, I'm going to be a slave the rest of my life to your abuses. It takes wisdom to make hard decisions when your emotions are being pulled on and all kinds of things are being said to you. It takes wisdom to make good financial calls, good relationship calls, good parenting calls. It takes wisdom. We should all be crying out to God who gives wisdom. The Proverbs told us, Job told us, and James 1.5 tells us, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without reproach or finding fault. It will be given to him. If you're lacking wisdom, as we're all lacking wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Ask him to give you something that you can't find hidden anywhere in the earth, but only God knows where it is. Ask him to give you it. And now that you know what the scripture tells us over and over again, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's what wisdom and understanding is. It is fearing the Lord and hating evil. So ask God to help you to walk in the fear of the Lord. To, to make decisions based on God watching, seeing, and what the consequences for eternity are going to be, and not just the pleasures of the moment. If you seek wisdom, you'll be one of the rare people investing in the right product. 
There's a lot of people selling all their stock in wisdom right now. They're selling, selling, selling. I encourage you, buy, buy, buy. What they call trash and garbage, you go pick it up at their curb and store it up in your heart. What they're throwing away and what they're despising, you treasure as a gem. And I promise you, what you will get, what you will inherit is far greater than what they think they're going to inherit. Far greater. Far greater in your relationships, far greater in your finances, far greater in every area of your life. If you'll let wisdom guide you, you'll have a much more peaceful and joyful life, even through suffering. I assure you. This morning we're going to close our service by celebrating communion together. I'm going to invite the men who are helping us with that to go ahead and come forward. Scripture tells us that we should not partake of these elements in an unworthy manner. And uh, the only thing that can make us worthy is having put our faith in Christ and His blood covering us and justifying us. If you've never trusted in Jesus or called upon Him to be your Lord and Savior, given your life to Him, um, we just encourage you, let this cup just pass by today. Um, If you're in a state of rebellion against God right now and you have no desire to repent today or tomorrow, you're, you're very happy in your sin, you don't want to change, I just encourage you, let it pass you by. Only God knows. I don't know and I don't, it's not on my shoulders. If you drink it, it's fine. But I, I'm just telling you what scripture says. Uh, don't, don't eat or drink of these things in an unworthy manner. So if there's, as all of us sin every week, uh, we, we need forgiveness and cleansing, I would encourage you, Let's bow our heads and hearts and ask God to forgive any sin, any unholy thing that we have done or thought, uh, even things we're not aware of, because we can sin in ignorance even. Um, Ask God to cleanse your hearts and prepare you for the celebration of the body and blood of Christ. Would you men please prepare to pass our elements? Father, even as these men are preparing, I ask you, just in uh, corporate prayer here with everyone else, that you would forgive us, Lord, for uh, any judgments that we've made, gossip, anger, uh, lustful thinking, pride. God, you know the kinds of things that come after us all the time, all through the week. Would you just forgive us and cleanse us? Lord, you know the deeper and the the sins that, that just go on and on the list. Help each one in this room. Help us each one, even those watching from home, Help us to turn from our sin. Give us the power to repent. Cleanse us by your blood right now as we partake of these elements in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pass the elements, please?
two cups in your hand. If you take the bottom one off, that's got the bread. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed there in the upper room in Jerusalem, he held the bread uh, from the Passover meal and held it in front of his disciples. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for giving us your son and for the body that you gave him. He was born of a virgin and grew up as a human being on this earth. We thank you that that real human body with all its senses and emotions and nerves suffered greatly and was broken on our behalf, even suffering to death on the cross. As we eat of this bread today, we do so remembering the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Let's eat of the bread. Later at the end of that Passover meal, Jesus held up the cup. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. I believe he said that because he never wants us to forget that we have life because he died. We've been made pure and righteous because he took our sin. And all of that, our sin coming upon him, him dying for our sins, the shedding of his blood, all of those things is the very core of the Christian faith. If you remove that, we're all lost in our sins. We have to remember the Lamb of God died for our sins and rose again. We should never forget it. It's why it's one of the ordinances of the church to remember the body and the blood of Christ, his sacrifice so that we could be made alive. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, <laughs> the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for its cleansing power. Thank you, Lord, that even when we talk about folly and everybody in this room has testimonies. We all have times in our life we wish would never have happened. But we thank you. We thank you that you 
can cleanse us and purify us and make us just and that there's not a one of us in this room or anywhere else on the planet that can stand before you outside of by your blood. We thank you that upon cleansing us, your spirit can fill us. You give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to walk in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's drink the cup. Amen. Church, as we uh, prepare to close our service together, I invite you to stand. Kim's going to lead us out in a hymn, and uh, that'll be how we're dismissed today. If you did need uh, prayer or to talk with someone, I'll be at the back. Feel free to catch me at the end, and uh, we can talk right after the service if you need to. Thank you for coming and being with us today. Let's leave mindful of his great faithfulness today. Great is